Hello and welcome into another edition of the How Very Human Sciences podcast produced by the College of Human Sciences. And this particular episode is coming to you from the beautiful Charleston Gillyard Center in gorgeous Charleston, South Carolina. We are here for the International Quality of Life Awards, something we have done for 29 years here in the College of Human Sciences, honoring people and partnerships, organizations who lift up their fellow man and make the world a better place. And our guest today, I'm so excited, is our Lifetime Achievement Award honoree, Rowdy Gaines. Rowdy, thank you so much for doing this with us. Uh, thank you, Kim. So great to be here with all of you. Oh, well, thank you. And congratulations on being our Lifetime Achievement Award honoree. How does that feel? <laughs> it feels uh, humbling, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was uh, first approached by Susan and then you, and as we talked about it, it was uh, something that, uh, for me, with no false modesty whatsoever. I just felt it was a, a bit undeserving. Oh. Um, I can think of so many great Auburn people um, in my lifetime that I've met, and I can't imagine the many that I've ne- that I've never met that are much more deserving. But it is it is an, an amazing honor, and I was so looking forward uh, to this evening. Well, the honor is really all ours. So thankful to get to meet you and. The Lifetime Achievement Award honoree always has either a direct connection to Auburn University or the state of Alabama. Of course, you have both. (laughs) And it also focuses on on your lifetime achievement, which has been significant. And more than that, success is how you've used that or handled that to lift up the lives around you. And as we said, um, improve quality of life, change the world. And you're doing a lot of that with your platform, Rowdy, and teaching children to swim and fighting cancer. Tell us about that and that passion in you to reach out like that. Well, I was born and raised in in Florida, Kim. Um, I'm a third-generation Floridian and uh, literally learned how to swim before I learned how to walk. I was nine months old when my parents taught me the life-saving gift of swimming because we lived on a lake. My parents water skied for a place called Cypress Gardens and just water was really part of the fabric of who I was. Um, And then of course, you know, going to Auburn changed my life uh, dramatically for the better. And, um, and then, you know, swimming took me on a path that also changed my life. And uh, I I guess I, I took, the sport of swimming for granted, I, I took knowing how to swim and learning how to swim for granted growing up. Um, and then when I retired, I started reading stories about children drowning. And um, it just broke my heart uh, because as we've grown to understand what drowning is all about and how it happens, um, we found the cure. And the cure literally is swim lessons. And I know it's simplistic in saying that, but... If a child takes swimming lessons, it, it, it uh, reduces that risk of drowning by 90%. Mm. So, you know, my platform, if there is a platform for the last, I guess, 30 years, um, has been to try to get children involved in swim lessons. It's not rocket science. I'm, I'm one of, of many in a huge village that does this. It's not just me. Uh, but it it has been a passion of mine because I uh, I get a Google alert when a child drowns, and I must get four or five a day, and and I I it just 
it drives me crazy because I know how unnecessary it is. And um, so I've, I've tried to use, use this platform in a good way in the fact that I try to educate our communities, um, especially our underserved communities. Um, an African-American child is five times more likely to drown than a Caucasian child. Um, Hispanic children at a much higher rate. So, um, you know, we want to try to change that. We want to try to change that generational fear that has passed down. So that, that has been something that I'm, I'm, as you said, very passionate about. And, uh, and I think we've all been touched by cancer. Yes. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know anybody. Unfortunately, that's true. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, friends, family, you, Mm -hmm. everybody's been touched by that word. And so I lost my stepfather. I lost my sister to, to cancer. And, and you know, it, it's, it's always been something that has been in the back of my mind to try to change and do something about to help in any way I can. And unfortunately, I'm just sort of a dumb jock, and I know swimming. Yeah. <laughs> so Swim Across America kind of came um, up about 35 years ago, and it's a, it's a great organization that raises awareness and research and money for cancer. Um. And uh, I just got involved and been with them 35 years later. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's something that has meant a lot to me as well from, from a personal standpoint. Um, professionally, I mean, I, I, run, I help run an organization called Step Into Swim that actually helps raise money to give grants to lesson providers to give swim lessons. Okay. But with, the, with Swim Across America and... and doing so much around cancer research, especially for me, pediatric cancer. Um, I just, you know, it just means a lot to me. Um, and uh, it, it's a little helpless feeling sometimes, right? I'm sure, yes. But when you, know? you can do something, that's what makes you feel better. Like yeah. You're, 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 doing, you're doing a lot. You're, you're very humble. I can do a list of other things. I know that you've stepped in and given of your time to as well. But let's go back to where this platform began. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take us back to Auburn University. Mm. And uh, here we are, 1980. You're called the fastest swimmer on the planet. Not <laughs> just called, you are. Breaking records, setting records, NCAA championships. Headed into those 1980 Olympic Games. Expected to sweep, rowdy, all of the sprinting swimming events. At least five gold medals, I know they were talking about. And here comes a boycott. The U.S. chooses to boycott the games. Um, when you think about that time, what goes through your mind or your spirit? Well, uh, it, it was certainly a heartbreak because as a swimmer, we have the Olympics as the pinnacle of success, Kim. We don't have a Super Bowl. We don't have a World Series. You know, if you don't make the Super Bowl one year, my favorite team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or my favorite team, the Chicago Cubs, can always hope for next year, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, for us, it's every four years. So that four-year journey for me, and many others, not just me, but many others, turned into an eight-year journey. And that you know, that was tricky, no doubt about it. Uh, um, swimming is not a sport for the faint of heart. I, we were sitting behind the blocks right before our last race at the Olympics in 84 and trying to figure out how many miles of swimming I'd done to get to this point. And it had been around 23,000 miles, give or take a few miles, (laughs) (laughs) which is the circumference of the globe at the equator. Okay. Figuratively, not literally. (laughs) But, uh, so, you know, you, I swam a lot to get to that point and, uh, the boycott again, I don't think it served its purpose. Um, I'm not going to get into the politics of it all, but I will say that 
I had my day in the sun. I had 1984. I had L.A. Right. For many others, there were 363 athletes that made the 1980 team that didn't make it in 84 and didn't make it in 76, so that was their only team. So for me, they're the ones that are real heroes that came out of the boycott because I had um, – I had my Olympic experience. Because it's a little window that these athletes get to train like that right. for the Olympics. So so you go into 84, and I think it's funny that they called you the old man. And what <laughs> were you, all of 24 or 25 at right. the time? But in Olympic years, like you said, in training, you were older than the others, and yet you won three gold medals more than any swimmer. Uh, did you go in feeling confident about that? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say yes. yes. And I would I would be uh, totally fabricating that story and the fact that I had this full of confidence, no problem, cocky all the way. Yeah. But no, I, I, I was certainly scared. I, like you said, I was 25. I was the third oldest swimmer ever to win a gold medal up to that point. So mm-hmm. it was a young man's sport. Now it's changed because the sport has changed dramatically over the last 35, 40 years. But um, for many reasons, but, but back then, yeah, it was a young man's sport and, you know, I barely made the team. I didn't make the team in an event that I had the world record in. I finished seventh. They only take the top two. Um, and then even in the hundred freestyle, I got second, barely qualifying. So no, it, the confidence wasn't really there. I guess in the end, I just, I said to myself that I deserved to be here. Um, again, not in a cocky way, but in a way that I felt like I was the only swimmer in those finals at the Olympics to have suffered through the boycott. Right. All seven of those other guys were too young. They were 21 They or whatever it was, 19 to 21, and none of them had been a part of that boycott experience. So it was sort of like, hey, this is my time, fellas. Yes. You've got your time in four <laughs> more years, but this is my time. And that was sort of the attitude, a little bit more relaxed, like – you know, regardless of what happened, I was very proud of my career and how I got to that point. You know, when I was telling our students about you before we were coming up here, I said you're one of the most successful, celebrated athletes of Auburn University. Sure, basketball, football, baseball tend to get a lot more attention sure. than swimming, but you truly are. And I also said you're all about encouragement and perseverance. You showed the perseverance, of course, from 80 to 84. And then in the 90s, you suffered a disabling autoimmune disease, and you were paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you work through that time? And you came back and won races <laughs> in other world championships. Yeah. That, that, well, you've done your homework. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah. I, I had a, a, a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome, and uh, it happened in 1991, and you know, it's a bit of a long story. I don't mind talking about it, but it, it's a strange disease still to this date. A lot of people don't know much about it. I'm walking around one day and then literally 24 hours later, as you said, I'm just completely paralyzed and it basically strikes your nervous system and it short circuits your nor- nervous system. So I spent about six months in the hospital and, and uh, kind of had to relearn how to do everything all over again. But I, I, really, I, I really learned to appreciate... Um, what the Lord had given me, you know, um, the Lord had given me great health, um, kind of made me recognize not to take that for granted. Um, I had an incredible family, my wife, and at that time, two children. Um, and, um, and the things that really meant the most to me really helped inspire me to get better, you know, and, uh, 
I, you know, I'm not going to say, Hey, I'm, I, if I had to do it all over again, I'd love to have it again because it would teach me those lessons because it was, it was, it was a little touch and go there for a while. But I, I do, I do appreciate what it did teach me, you know? Um, and, and, the, and like I said, the most important thing is never, uh, ever take your health for granted. Yeah. Right. Tell us about your family. You're, you're pretty much surrounded by women. Mm. <laughs> Jeez, man, you're not kidding. Four daughters, five granddaughters. Wow. So yeah, I, my joke in my house is I play with Barbies and I like it. That's how bad it is in my house. Uh, yeah, I, I love them. You know, my wife is, uh, the real superhero and the fact that I've, you know, I've traveled my whole life, um, 10, 15, 20 days a month sometimes. And so my wife was always there as that great homemaker and mother and um, wonderful wife and, you know, raised our children in the right way. And, uh, and now we have five beautiful granddaughters and you know what? Um, you're way too young, but, uh, (laughs) I tell you, man, Having grandchildren is a game changer. I hear this. I hear it. I can't you know, wait. You, you think you don't, you think you have no love that can match your child, right? Right. And in a way, okay, I get it. And then all of a sudden a grandchild comes along and you think, oh my gosh, I love my grandchildren more than I love my kids. You I have know? a friend who says, if I'd known how great this is, I would have had, I would have them, had first. them first. I would have had them first. Oh, yeah. If you could make that happen. Definitely, definitely. Rowdy, let's close. What's your advice to students and graduates of today? We've talked about persevering and don't take your health for granted. But what advice would you give them when they're at a tough place, say at Auburn University or in college, wherever they are at this time, and then as they step out and think, what does this world have for me? What's your advice to them? Well, it's, it's, you know, I've had a lot of peaks and valleys in my life, you know, as we all have. Um, and as all students have, even, right. you know, if you're 20, 21 years old, you still have gone through these, this roller coaster ride of life of great times of mountaintops and real tough times. And I have found the, the champions that I know of are the ones that can live through the good times. You're defined by your losses. You're defined by your valleys. Um, and I know that's so easy to say sitting here on a podcast, talking about it on a microphone, but if you recognize the fact that life is full of those and you accept those valleys, the champion, the, 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 the mountaintops, the peaks will mean that much more. And the other thing that I try to tell kids and I say kids because college age students are kids Mm -hmm. to me anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know this real sounds really corny, but I think we are all put on this earth for a very specific purpose. Um, I think my tombstone will probably read Rowdy Gaines Dash Swimmer. Uh, but I hope it's a lot more than that. You know, I hope there will be much more meaning after I'm gone. And I, I try to tell these students the same thing, man. You were put on this for a very specific purpose. You have a gift to share. The Lord put you on this for earth for a special reason. I didn't know until I was 17 because I didn't start swimming until I was 17. Mm-hmm. So we all have that inside us. And, and I just try to tell people, you know, don't let anybody ever tell you any differently because it's just not true. Yeah, there's always something new around the corner, too, how you'll be used to change so somebody's true, life. Right? Yes. So very true. Well, we're so excited to celebrate you tonight. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us, our Lifetime Achievement Award honoree here at the International Quality of Life Awards in Charleston. Rowdy Gaines, thank you so much. Thank you.
Yes, and thank you for listening to the How Very Human Sciences podcast. Check out the College of Human Sciences at Auburn University, and we'll be back with you again soon. Take care.